Hey Amarillo, I'm Jason Boyette, and you're listening to Hey Amarillo, the interview podcast featuring some of the most interesting people and stories of Amarillo, Texas. Hey Amarillo is sponsored this week by Amber Morgan and the Manny Camper. Amber is the city's most creative nail artist. She works at Ugly Press Salon and takes private appointments there, but she can also come to you through the Manny Camper, which is a mobile nail salon that's perfect for birthday parties, bridal and bachelorette parties, girls' night out, employee appreciation, and a whole lot more. Go to themannycamper.com or follow the Manny Camper on Instagram. And check out Amber's Hamarillo interview. Talk to her back in February of 2018. This podcast is also supported by Jimmy John's Gourmet Sandwiches with three Amarillo locations, Sansi and I-40, Western and Olson, and downtown right across from the ballpark. Now, this show is about Amarillo and the community, so if you need help with an event or if you need donations of food, whatever you need, reach out to any local Jimmy John's location and ask for Charles. Charles is the local owner of this franchise. They'll do their best to take care of you. Today's guest is Maria Garcia. Now, Maria is the program director for an organization called Uniting Parents. It's part of COHS, the Nonprofit Coalition of Health Services, which helps parents of children who have chronic illnesses or disabilities. And we talk about that, about that work, and it's, it's really important work. But Maria has a fascinating story herself. She grew up in a migrant agricultural family. She was based in Hereford, but her parents followed agriculture work all over the Midwest. Maria ended up being the first member of her family to attend college, and she eventually ended up here in Amarillo. So we talk about uniting parents. We talk about her unique upbringing and the difference between living in Amarillo and a small panhandle town like Hereford. So here's Maria Garcia. Maria Garcia, welcome to the Hamarillo Podcast. Thanks for being here today. Well, thank you very much. I'm very excited to be here. Good. Well, I'm excited to talk to you. I, I know we have a lot of different things to talk about, but uh, the, the first place I like to start with every guest is just to ask how you ended up in this area. So what's your story? What brought you to Amarillo or the Panhandle? or? How well, I've been in the Amarillo area for quite a long time. Um, my family's actually from down south, Eagle Pass, Piedras Negras area. Okay. And like Eagle Pass, Eagle Pass, the Texas. Yes. Okay. Yes. Right on the border. I was born in Crystal City. My family lived in Eagle Pass and in Piedras Negras. And then my family finally decided, uh, after some encouragement from my great-grandfather, for my dad to settle down in one place to move to Hereford. Okay. So we lived in Hereford, but not in the city of Hereford, but um, like Frio and out in the rural communities outside of Hereford for um, many years. My dad was a farmhand. Okay. Um, he learned the trade of farming, and, and uh, we helped him out on the farm. And uh, as we got a little bit older, we did what my family did, and that was migrate in the summer to go work in the fields. So and, just like place to place, uh, depending place on to where place. the work was. Yes, and um, we actually... I did sugar beets up north, and we went to Colorado, we went to Minnesota, but once we started school, Dad was very dedicated about us going to school. So he wasn't like other parents who would take out their kids like in the middle of March, right. and then they would 
go ahead and and uh, leave and not come back till after September when school had already started. My dad wanted us to have a good education. My mom and dad were very adamant about that because they didn't want us to have the life they had where they had to work very, very hard out in the fields. My my dad might have been a farmhand, but my mom worked out in the fields when we were old enough to take care of ourselves, and um, she would leave me in charge of the younger ones, okay. and so I would take care of them. My mom would come in and check on us during lunch while she was working out in the fields. How many siblings uh, did you have? There's a total of five of us, so okay. I had four siblings. I have one sister. Were you the oldest? I'm the oldest okay. female, yes, and then I have an older brother. Okay. So since my family came from Eagle Pass, their English was very limited. Piedras mm-hmm. Negras, uh, it was very limited. So I had to learn English very fast, my brother and I, because we were the eldest. So we got started in Hereford at school, our primary years. And my first year was so difficult. I remember being in first grade and crying that I could not communicate with the teacher. Yeah. I could communicate with some of the students. In fact, I got in trouble one time for some little girl pulling on my cap um, and I couldn't explain to the teacher what happened so I got swatted and I told myself from then on you know that I would learn the language and I would learn it well enough so I could defend myself and so I think that's where I started my advocacy training was (laughs) Was trying to avoid uh Be you know, being being disciplined because you know back then it was corporal punishment. I'm aging myself right now, you know, but that's what the times were, and I really listened pretty well, and I was attentive to people, and I looked at the struggles my parents had because you know it was a large family. There was five of us, and my dad was one of the eldest in his family, so he had to take care of his family. My mom had to take care of his family. So it was all about family, taking care of each other. And my dad helped my uncle's come to the United States and help them locate and get their visas and get their citizenships. Was your dad first generation to come to the U.S.? Yes, he was first generation to come to the United States. Where did his family His His family was from Coahuila, and so is my mom's family. In fact, their childhoods are very similar. Both my grandmothers are U.S. citizens. They were born U.S. citizens. Both of them were born in the New Braunfels San Marcos area. And my grandfathers were both Mexican nationals. So it was interesting sometimes when we were crossing the border, you know, from visiting family, because they would get interviewed and they, you know, it was their background was so similar that they would question them, you know, but it seemed too easy. mm, It was too easy. It was Mm. too similar, whatever. So, uh, I remember being in the detention centers for a little bit until, you know, they gave us the okay to go ahead. Of course, my parents were got their U.S. citizenship. Uh, when my mom turned 18, my grandmother was able to get her U.S. citizenship. And my dad, same thing. When he turned 18, okay. my grandmother was able to get his U.S. citizenship. Do you know what brought him here, like, for the first time? Why did he Why decide, did he come? yeah, we, I, I want to come to Texas? And- well, it was the crops. Okay. I mean, they followed the crops. That's what my grandparents did. That's what my parents did. They they came for the crops. They came for the sugar beets, the cotton, the carrots, you know, anything that was uh, 
agriculture related. That's what they came for. And they came as a family. That was their support system. They came as a family. So I saw all of that in my family. So, and my dad was so, and my mom too, was so adamant about us getting out of that, you know, to become right. educated, to, to have better jobs, to have better possibilities in life. So they just vowed uh, to themselves and then in, instilled that in us about having good work ethics. Mm-hmm. And we worked in the fields. My dad said we had to learn the basics. We had to know how to survive. So my brothers and I, from the time we were able to get into the fields, worked in the fields, we might have not been of age, but we learned right. how to get in there just like farmer's kids did, you know? What was it like growing up in Hereford during that time within that family, you know, where your parents were working in the fields and, you know, it, there, there was sort of, I guess you didn't have that steady consistency because they were following the work, you know, wherever mm-hmm. that would be. Did, did it ever feel difficult well, for you? or It was difficult only in that we changed schools, okay. but I always took it sort of like a vacation. We got to travel and we got to see other things. And that's just my personality. I And, uh, you know, not everybody's that way, but I always try to learn from what was going on, but it was difficult. You know, some of my siblings had a harder time, especially since I had a brother with learning disabilities. Mm-hmm. It was harder for him. Um, have a sister, you know, that had a little bit of disability dyslexia and had some learning disabilities too. So that was harder on her, you know, but we just learned that that's what we did. The thing was that we were together as a family. My mom made sure that we were clothed well, we were fed well, we went to school, you know, we followed the rules. You never wanted to mess up with the teachers, you know, (laughs) you, you wanted to have good grades and you wanted to do well in school. And my parents expected that from us. And we learned um, a lot of skills from my parents, you know, whether it was out in the fields or, you know, learning how to fix a pickup or, or, you know, do the chores around the home. We all had chores. So we learned how to do those things very young. And I think they've helped me in my adult life okay. as well. Where, where did you graduate from high school? Then? I graduated from Hereford to high. Okay. So yes. you, did you spend most of your yes. teen years and stuff in yes. Hereford? Yes. All yeah. my teen years were in Hereford. Um, when we migrated, we I was very young. Okay. And then once I was old enough to work in the fields, my dad took us. And that was in summertime. We would work... Um, like I said, North Dakota, Minnesota, Colorado. Yes. Anywhere where there was vegetables that needed to be harvested or cleaned out, you know, that's what we did. We followed the crops. All that time, Hereford sort of remained Uh, home base. Hereford was our home base. Yes. We stayed there. My, my dad liked Hereford. We had an uncle in Hereford. We had some other family members in Hereford and my dad brought his siblings and my mom's brothers and sisters to Hereford as well. So our family grew with time. My dad would always find people that kind of knew the ropes, you know, so he had mentors to help him. And I always felt like my dad was then a mentor to his family and my mom's uh, side of the family as well. When did you start thinking about life beyond 
high school? Like, did you always think I'm going to graduate and then I'm going to go to college and, and try to do this? Or did, what were I, your dreams at that point? I think I thought of it, started thinking about college, probably middle school, you okay. know, not so much grammar school, you know, I was just a kid growing up. And, but you would have been the first fun. person in your yes. family to go to college, right? Yes, okay. I was actually the first person to go to college in my family. Um, it was funny because um, my dad really wanted this. I give a lot of credit to my dad because he's a very quiet man, but when he talks, you listen and people really respect him. And my mom was very adamant too about giving me a good education, giving my siblings a good education. And so I think they had a lot of pillow talk about what they wanted for their kids. And so I went to college, but it was probably middle school before I really thought about it. And uh, definitely when I was in high school, I wanted to be, you know, in different clubs and groups. And sometimes I could, sometimes I couldn't because transportation was an issue. You know, we lived out in the farms and school was in town. And then we finally moved into town. Um, My dad bought a a truck and he started working for Holly Sugar and some of the other uh, crop plants that were in town. And we were in town and we could walk to school, but we still had that transportation. If it was an evening or late afternoon, you know, we were expected to be home helping, you know, at home. So I couldn't always be in all the clubs I wanted, but I, I was able to do a lot. You know, so I thank my parents for that. But my dad really wanted me to go to college. And in fact, I remember my uncle's very traditional Mexican men saying, you don't want to educate her because all she's going to do is give that check to her husband. And I thought, what a downer, you know. I'm going to prove them wrong. Not that, you know, I wasn't going to share my my paycheck with right, my husband. But, but, you know, how dare they start prescribing to my dad what uh, my life should be like. And, you know, my dad only wanted the best things in me. I'm sorry, it's giving me goosebumps just to think about it. But th- that's what they saw. Women were supposed to be in the house, tending to the children, tending to to, you know, the everyday life of family and, and uh, women shouldn't be out working, but I wanted to do that. Okay. I strive for that. My parents, fortunately and unfortunately, had to use me as a translator from the time I was very little. Uh, I remember just being in grade school, probably not even maybe third, fourth grade, because by then I had really mastered the language. Uh, I was having to translate for them at doctor's offices. If my dad had a legal manner, I'd have to go with him, you know. Which is a lot for a kid. It is. It, it, It was a whole lot. And I think about it now because I work with families sometimes that use their children for translators. And I think that was me. Yeah. You know, how did I feel? You know, how did my parents feel when they had to disclose personal things, you know? to a child that shouldn't even have to hear those right. things. And in order to communicate in to order a doctor to, to, mm-hmm, or to an attorney. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm glad now there's some laws in place that say, you know, um, facilities who get federal money have to provide translators or there's language lines because that wasn't always available. And even though I still see families who use their uh, children as translators, there's more opportunities now where they don't have to, because you don't want a child to lose their 
childhood. Right. You know, you right. want them to enjoy life and be a child for as long as they can. And I always felt like I had to grow up real fast. And I don't carry any kind of remorse that I didn't. You know, I had to grow up fast because it was my situation. I love my life. I've loved what I've done. I loved what my parents led me to. And so I give all the credit to them for that. Where did you go to college? I went to WT okay. when it was West Texas State University. Okay. <laughs> and so Which also dates you a little also bit. Also dates but... me a little bit. And, you know, and I, I have lots of good memories. I traveled back and forth from Hereford to WT. I, and I went uh, from high school straight to college. Okay. And I took college classes while I was in high school. So I was a little bit ahead of the game. I was always thinking of goals, things that I wanted to accomplish in my life. And I'm still that way, things that, that I want to do. And so I wanted to get on the other side of the desk. I wanted to be the teacher. I didn't always right. want it to be the student. So I was able to finish my college in uh, three years instead of four years. And I got to teaching. I got married. I had three beautiful kids. And um, before I had my children, I started my master's degree. In fact, I was pregnant with my oldest child when I crossed uh, my um, for my master's degree. Okay. So I have to get that done uh -huh. before the kids yes, come along. Yes. Yes. And, and that was kind of it. I wanted to be finished with all of that so I could enjoy my children more and, and enjoy my work that I was doing. But um, And so you were you were working in Hereford at that mm -hmm. point, is that right? I was. I was working in Hereford. I worked um, as a teenager. I worked in the fields, but then I got a job at a restaurant and I was a waitress. Found out I did not like waitressing. Mm -hmm. I did not like that at all. That was um, my first regular job. And then I I went to work at McDonald's and I stayed there five years. I stayed there while I was in high school and I was going to college. Okay. And, and I loved the hospitality part of it. I was a hospitality member at McDonald's, so I got to do birthday parties for children. Oh, okay. And so I learned that I really loved children and I loved playing with them and working with them. And sometimes parents would offer me, um, you know, like a tip for the work I was doing, but I knew I couldn't take the tip and I'd say, thank you. But, you know, I really enjoy your kids and, and I was having fun. So I think that's where it led me to want to be uh, a teacher. So uh, by trade, I am an educator. Mm -hmm. I taught bilingual education in Hereford okay, for like elementary, uh, age? Ele elementary okay. age and middle school too. I did that for seven years. So I was a primary teacher and then I went to the middle school. So I taught at Northwest Elementary and for summer school, I taught at Shirley and that was my intermediate year. And then I became a school counselor once I got my master's degree and I have four years of counseling in Hereford. Okay. And I did that at Northwest Elementary and also at West Central. Okay. So tell me after, you know, after that career, what eventually mm -hmm. brought you from Hereford? to Amarillo and, and sort of a transition mm -hmm. in, in your career So path. Um, when I was a school counselor, I was pregnant with my third child. My third child was born with Down syndrome. Okay. 
Did you know about that diagnosis pre-birth, or was that no? A I, I didn't. It was a total surprise, okay. and uh, that was really hard on me because I was so goal-oriented, knew what I wanted to do, how to get things done. I made sure that I really took care of myself. So I, w- I was like, why, you know, why am I having this child with Down syndrome if I really took care of myself? You know, I went to church. I was a good person, but it has nothing to do with that at right. all. It's just, it's a fluke of nature. God, you know, God chose me or fate chose me, however you want to look at it, you know. Uh, but I ended up being a parent of a child with Down syndrome. Did you have any experience with individuals with Down syndrome before that? I actually did, but didn't know it. Okay. In fact, in college, I had to do, as part of my master's work, I had to do a research paper on what they called mongoloidism. Okay. Before the way language changed back about... Before they even called it Down syndrome. So I was doing my research paper and, you know, I was like, Oh my goodness, I can't believe this. And, you know, because I read, they were, you know, they used the word retarded. Now you don't even use that right. word. Even if someone says it in a flippant way or, you know, just jokingly, it's offensive to me. Right. You know, because I have a son that would have been on that scale of mental retardation. But now we call it developmental delays. So I was a school counselor became pregnant with my son, ended up with him having Down syndrome. And at the time, my husband was working for Atmos Energy. And um, he was born into their insurance uh, program. And at that time, schools and everyone else in the United States could discriminate based on disability or illness or whatever. Healthcare plans could do that. And so when Joe was born to me, he was born into my husband's employer's policy. Well, my husband um, decided, ended up leaving Atmos, and so we had to buy Cobra. Right. And for anyone who knows like Cobra, yes, yes. That, and it is humongously expensive for families. But my son was a very sickly child there at the beginning. So we bought Cobra. And so um, I couldn't get him into my school uh, policy, health insurance policy, because he had a pre-existing condition. So things happened. Um, we got kicked out of a Mother's Day program because my child was considered violent because he bit another little girl, drew blood. And, you know, it was all about not having enough staff supervising the right. kids because that should have never happened, should have not never gotten there. So all these things were happening with my son. And I didn't know, I knew I had to do something differently. But I loved what I was doing. Well, I because he had Downs, I was I was researching and searching for organizations that uh, help families of kids with disabilities, and I came across Uniting Parents. Okay, Uniting Parents at that time was had only been in existence for a few years, and they used a model of parents helping parents. And so I got started talking to them, and then later on in my relationship with them, I found out that their director was going to be leaving, and they were looking for someone with a background in education okay. and someone who was a parent. Well, lo and behold, I fit the shoes, you right, know? Right. So they they asked me if I wanted to go interview, so I did. I went and interviewed, 
and came out of the interview thinking, oh my God, this is exactly what I want to do. This is what's in the road for yeah, me. Yeah, the culmination yeah, of, this, of your path. Uh-huh, this is where I'm supposed to go. So I, I got the phone call. I accepted the job. I started working in the summer because I was in the school system. I had mm-hmm. my summer off. So I go, okay, if this is not where I'm supposed to be, at least you know I've had these few months that I can try it out. Well, I stayed there. I I left Hereford. I gave my letter of resignation. I went to work at Uniting Parents and been there ever since. So I've been with Uniting Parents 25 years. So this is my anniversary year, 25 25 years. years. I can't believe it. That's how long I've been with Uniting Parents. So before we go much further, tell me what the organization provides, what Uniting Parents does, and why it's so important. Well, uh, Uniting Parents is a program under the Coalition of Health Services. It, it's a nonprofit it's an agency. Non-profit. Yes, right. it's an Amarillo nonprofit. Does wonderful work with families and children all across the Panhandle. I I operate two programs under the coalition. One is called Uniting Parents, and the other one complements it. It's called Families Respite. Okay. Um, Uniting Parents provides case management services using parents of kids with disabilities to mentor other parents up to the age of 21. So your child has to be under the age of 21, has to live within the top 32 counties of the Texas Panhandle. Through our program, families who don't have insurance are um, have private insurance, have CHIP, all qualify for the case management component of it. So you can get a case manager if you have private insurance, no insurance, or CHIP. If you have Medicaid, we will take a referral, but we would uh, send that referral on to the Department of State Health Services. That's our contractor because they take the Medicaid population because they can bill for those services where we cannot. Tell me why the necessity of, you know, what this provides and whether it's the case management, whether it's the respite. You know, I've had as a guest in the past Bruce Mosley, you know, who talked about dealing with these children with special needs and treating them, your focus is mainly on the parents. Mm -hmm. So talk to me about what parents need and why it's so critical to be able to meet those needs, you know, while they're meeting their kids' needs. Well, it's um, it kind of goes back to the story that I have as a parent. I ended up with a child with Down syndrome not knowing I was going to have one. Mm-hmm. So when that happens to you and you're given the diagnosis, you feel devastated. You feel all alone, like there's no one else in the world that this is happening to. So you start either researching a Mm -hmm. whole lot, look for people that have children with the same diagnosis, people that can help support you along the way. Uh, You feel very lonely. You go through the stages of grief. I was going to say, there's almost grieving because you have the excitement of having a baby, but you also have to let go of maybe the dreams that every Um, parent has of their children um, because there are going to be some difficulties. Yes, you said it beautifully. It is a grieving process for the parents and if if you know you have two parents they may grieve at different times mm-hmm. you know and that the way they grieve may be very different so parents need support and that's why uniting parents got started we need emotional support from one another we need to learn from parents who've been there and done it and have kind of been the trailblazers for us because I look at those parents whose kids are much older than my son who is now 28 okay I look at that and I think, 
I need their help and their support. How did you get on social security? How did you find services once he left school? You know, I'm looking for them. Whereas the young ones are thinking, what about daycares? What about how do I get through this? Yes. How, you know, how do I do toileting? How do I feed if they have a weak set? What do I do? So, Parents help parents, and Uniting Parents was was developed on that premise that you could learn from parents who had some expertise in that area. Through my organization, I provide a lot of training for my parents, not necessarily myself providing that training, mm-hmm. but I send them to workshops, I tend send them to seminars, uh, they participate in a lot of community um, education events that there are so that they can learn what's out there and available. So we become like wheels of information for families, a way for them to access services. They know who to talk to, you know, people first name basis, building those relationships so that they can get through the front door and get some support and some help. How many different families would you say, you know, I know it probably fluctuates from, you know, 25 years of doing it, but like on an annual basis, like how many people are you dealing with? Right now we're dealing with about 300 families. Okay, and it's from all uh, over the panhandle. It's all over the panhandle. That's in 32 counties. Not every county has families that we're dealing with them because they have pretty sparse populations. Mm-hmm. But uh, if you look at the normal population, there is a, a child with some kind of disability in uh, about every 10 to 15 births. There's a child with disabilities. So that's pretty prevalent. Beyond Down syndrome, Uh which we've talked about, what are some of those other disabilities that we Um, might find? Well, we we have children with cerebral palsy. We also, some, you know, sometimes parents don't look at uh, like ADHD as a disability, or they don't look at a learning disability, or maybe they're just having trouble with math and reading. They don't look at that as a disability, but it is a disability. It it is they're they're having to learn things differently. Right. And it doesn't mean that they can't do the things. They just may have to be presented their homework a little bit different. And we might have to make some modifications. But then we have children that are medically fragile. They, you know, use trachs and have right. G buttons and um, are on ventilators or receive home health because they're on so many medications or kids that are incontinent. So we have the whole gamut. Okay. Everything from very mild disabilities, like even chronic asthma. Okay. Uh, all the way to a child that's not in school is being homeschooled because they're so medically fragile. For for those medically fragile children, um, I, I know that plays into the idea of respite care. Mm-hmm. So tell me, you know, what that respite care might look like, sure. you know, within your organization. Well, we have um, what's called a respite reimbursement program. That second contract that I have called Families Respite allows families to get 20 hours of respite a month if there's no other respite source. Okay. So first we got to figure that one out. You know, the we do an interview with the family. They fill out an application. On this program, they can have Medicaid as long as they're not actually accessing respite through a Medicaid waiver program. If they've got a waiver program, then they can access the respite. So the family finds the provider, teaches them how to work with their child. The respite can be in-home, 
out of home. In fact, some families use it to take the child out on outings. Like they might go to the mall, learn to purchase things, go to a movie. That's how they use their respite. Other families decide they want someone to come in their home and watch the child while the mom does other things, you know, and it could be anything from playing with the other kids to, you know, just cooking supper without any interruptions, you know, so the family decides how that respite looks like. And along with that respite, um, I've developed a college scholarship for uh, young people with disabilities up to the age of 21. I have college scholarships for them through our respite contract. And I also have camp scholarships. So I can pay for some camp scholarships through our funding. One thing that I'd I'd like to talk about a little bit is not really related to your work, but just, you know, having moved to Amarillo from Hereford, you know, having spent so much time there as an adult, growing up there, living outside of Hereford, you know, and then and now you're in this much larger city. Was that a, a time of transition? I mean, it take a while to kind of get used to those different changes? It, it, it did take a while. In fact, I have to say that it, it took me a, a while to feel just at home here really? because Hereford was home. Right. You know, the Hereford is where my roots were and I grew up and I still go to Hereford every weekend. <laughs> you know, my parents well, are still living. There, yeah. yeah. And my brother, you know, so I still go to Hereford just about every weekend. So it was a difficult change for me, but we we moved to Hereford because of a couple of reasons. One, my husband found a job in Amarillo, so he was traveling back and forth. I was traveling back and forth, and my son was getting to an age where I was thinking long-term for him. Okay. You know, what kind of services are in Hereford versus, you know, the city? Right. And so it was a... An easy thing, you know, we knew we had to move because of him. We knew we had to move because we were spending more money on gasoline than we were on our house. And I said, why not invest? So we did. And so we transplanted our kids here. Now, Joe has two siblings, Linda and Victoria. And I pulled them out when they were going to enter high school, which was very difficult for them. You know, it was not an easy move for them. I think it was really difficult on them because they left their lifelong friends. You know, the kids that they grew up in, you know, from primary school all the way to almost high school. Victoria was in her first year of high school when we pulled her. So that was really hard. And they made the transition. They ended up, um, you know, falling in love and getting married here mm-hmm. and graduating from high school. And now they both have two adorable children. So I have four grandchildren. Okay. But the move was kind of hard. And I had my job and I had my work family that helped introduce me to Amarillo some. But it wasn't until I got involved in like community groups and boards that I felt more part of Amarillo. So for anybody coming into Amarillo, I really think that it helps if you get involved in the community, whether it's through your church or through something you're really passionate about. That's how you get to meet other folks. Because I, we've always lived out in the country. I grew up in the country. And in my married life, I lived outside of city limits. Okay. I wouldn't say country, country, but, but outside yeah. outside of city limits. And I still do. My, my home here in Amarillo is outside of city limits. So I'm still a very much a country. 
country girl. I like that. But you don't get to know the city unless you become part of the city. Right. So, so I, I want to take advantage of, um, of your experience a little bit because a lot of people I've talked to you know, maybe moved away to Dallas or to mm-hmm. Austin and then came back to Amarillo because they wanted to get back to that small town feel. You're in Amarillo and saying, well, it doesn't quite have the same small town feel that Hereford had. Um, so I'd like you to kind of compare, contrast some of those things. Like, like when you move to Amarillo as an adult, having lived in a smaller town, what are some of the things that you feel like you, you give up being immersed in this larger area? I mean, it's, can you... Well, you you give up some time because you have to travel from one end of town to the other end of town. You know, I'm driving in probably a a good 12 miles every day to to come to work. And, you know, so that's some time. Whether you go grocery shopping or you go to the mall or somewhere, you're having to travel. You know, in a small town, everything's located within, you know, the city block area. You know, you might now, uh, Hereford has a Walmart, so, you know, it's maybe a mile outside of town, but it's still pretty relative. It's all about five minutes You know, five minutes, exactly. And in town, it's a little bigger, so you do give that up. And in a small, small town like Hereford, a rural community, most people know most people. Okay. And you're only a couple of people away from somebody knowing you or your family, you know. In Amarillo, you might be five people away from somebody All knowing right. your family. So, Which so is there still is, pretty close. It's still but. pretty close. But when I look at Amarillo and I, I look at Austin, because I have to travel to Austin, and I travel to Dal- Dallas or San Antonio for workshops or conferences or when I was on advisory boards, those are huge cities. I would much rather live in Amarillo, and it doesn't it doesn't bother me to drive in fifteen minutes, ten minutes to get somewhere uh, where I don't have the traffic. Mm-hmm. And lo and behold, we're getting a lot more traffic as our city is booming. When we bought our home, it was pretty rural, and now there's subdivisions being developed all around us. And I'm like, oh my god, it is just Amarillo is changing but i see some really good changes too and i love the people here i'd I'd like to hear a little bit um and i know you can't speak for your parents but but just from them on you know their decision to to move here to follow the work here to kind of plant roots in hereford and then to push their children into education and into a life outside that you know that migrant agricultural sort of environment Mm -hmm. um how do your parents feel or your larger family, you know, about the work that you're doing now and about kind of where you've ended up? Well, I think my family's extremely proud of me. Um, I'm sorry, I get a little emotional about that. Yeah, I think they're very, very proud of what I've uh, accomplished, been able to do. You know, I I didn't say this earlier, but I actually have been able to work under three different governors. I worked under Ann Richards and George Bush and Rick Perry uh, under the Early Childhood Intervention Advisory Board. And then those are appointed boards? Yes, appointed uh, state boards, you know, so I have felt very privileged in everything that I've done in in my career. Um, I've had to work very hard for it. You know, growing up as a 
young Hispanic woman, you know, you were supposed to be quiet and listen and not get in the way. And and so I had to get out of that shell. I metamorphosed when I went to college. Okay. I really did. Typically went from a caterpillar to a butterfly. All right. <laughs> I knew there was a mission in life for me. And um, my parents helped me do that. And they're very proud of all their children because I have uh, two brothers in law enforcement. I have a, uh, my oldest brother is a chief of police where in the city where he works. Okay. I have a, a younger brother here who's a detective for law enforcement. I have uh, my oldest brother was a supervisor for a meat packing plant, uh, and my sister works for a large uh, affiliated foods company okay. here. We've all done well. We've all gone to college except my brother Fred, but he's the one that had the more severe learning disabilities. But you watch him build things and do home maintenance and repair and all kinds of things. He's an amazing, amazing individual. So this is, uh, I guess, to all you parents out there who your kids are struggling maybe in reading and writing, they have other skills, gifts that God gives them that they can do amazing things with. Spoken like a a true teacher and (laughs) and educator. (laughs) In that regard, I'd, I'd like to ask just one more question before we close up this part, mm-hmm. and it's it's about being the parent of an adult who has a disability. So you, you said your son Joe is now 28 years old, mm-hmm. um, has Down syndrome. What's it like for him living in a place like Amarillo? I assume does he still live with you, or does he yes. live? Okay, he actually still lives with me, and uh, you know, families are given that option, you know, and we really encourage families through Uniting Parents to look at all their options. Um, there are wonderful group homes here in town. There's also day habs. There's places where they can go to work, but you've got to get on list. Mm -hmm. And that's what Uniting Parents can do for you. They can help you find out based on your child's disability what list you need to get them on so that you're not waiting forever. So right now, Joe goes to Dayhab during the day. He's contracted through Advil Incorporated and has a contract at the Sod Poodles. Okay. which he loves. And Advo uh, is it, a place where individuals with disabilities can find employment doing different mm-hmm, projects or, mm-hmm, or jobs, mm-hmm. and lots of different so, things. So um, he has a contract with them, so he goes out and works at the Sod Poodles. Okay, what does he do and there? He does maintenance. Okay. He uh, picks up trash and keeps the stadium looking beautiful, um, you know, restocks. He's with the group that is from Advo, and so he has two supervisors that go out with them. And my son is enjoying it. He loves the fans. He loves the music. He doesn't see it as a job. He loves the check that he gets, but he just enjoys going out there so much. So I'm really excited that he can do that. And he may have had work experience because I'm his mom and I would have found him something in Hereford, but he wouldn't have the multitude of things to choose from. It, like he does in a larger community, okay. like Amarillo. So Amarillo gives uh, our kids with disabilities, especially kids with developmental disabilities, more opportunities. And then we have like the Down Syndrome Guild here in town, which is very I, active. Very active, and we've been part of it since its inception. Okay. And so Joe's grown up in that organization. That's where you meet parents, you meet family. That's where you become grandparents.
grounded and you learn to grow roots also as you move from smaller communities. So I love Amarillo because of that. This episode is also sponsored by Kara Hendricks, financial advisor with Edward Jones. If saving for retirement is something you always seem to be thinking about but not actually doing, you need to talk to Kara. She specializes in high-quality, tailored investments for investors of all ages and every kind of financial means. And she works to treat her clients like she would want to be treated herself. To get started, call Kara Hendricks at 806-358-8346 today. That's 806-358-8346. Edward Jones, Making Sense of Investing, member SIPC. Also, and I mentioned this last week, but I'm going to say it again. Get out your calendar and save the date for Saturday, August 3rd. That's the day of the first ever Hey Amarillo Beer Fest at Starlight Ranch Event Center. This is a one-day afternoon and evening event, and we've designed it to celebrate the local craft beer scene. So we're cooperating with breweries like Six Car and Pondaceta so that they can all come together in one place out at Starlight Ranch and offer tastings of their unique craft beer lines. We'll even have some breweries from Lubbock there. So it's got Hey Amarillo's name on it. Um, and, and if you're a listener, I would love for you to be there. I hope you'll come join us for this event. So be on the lookout for ticket details and more information coming very soon. Okay, I'm back with Maria Garcia of Coalition of Health Services and Uniting Parents and a lot of different uh, things that you're involved with. Maria, this is the part of the show I call Eight Straight. I'm going to ask you eight straight questions as my guest. Your job is to answer those questions in as much detail as you can. Or as little detail as you want to. (laughs) I'll give you options. The first question is one that's specifically for you. What's the biggest need among parents of children with chronic illnesses or disabilities? Like, like what's the need that maybe I don't understand that, that I would need to kind of understand about them? I think probably the biggest need is to not feel by yourself and know what direction to take with your child. Like that isolation. Uh-huh, that, that isolation, might. yes. Because you feel so alone when your child is first diagnosed with any kind of chronic illness or disability. You don't know what to do, where to go, who who to talk to. So you want to be able to connect with either a person or an organization that's going to have some answers for you. That's one of the main things that your organization provides. Exactly. Just someone who can talk them through steps or mm-hmm. reassure them mm-hmm. or say, this is going to be okay. I've gone mm-hmm. through it. You can get through it too. Yes. And I think that's so very important, you know, uh, to have the sense of someone else has walked the same steps that you're going to have to walk through. So you don't feel so by yourself, so alone. Mm-hmm. I think it's important. It gives families a sense of empowerment once they get information the last thing you want to do is feel like you have to get closed up in your house and let the world around you not enter your home because you want to become part of the community. I always tell parents, the more you take your child out into the community and they see them with you, the more accepting the community becomes of your child. Uh, If you isolate yourself, then you're isolating your child and you're doing no favor. Same thing with chores for these children. You think about it, well, he has CPO, he can't do this. Oh, yes, he can. He can do this, maybe not in the exact same way that you and I may be able to do it, but they can do something. So you want 
to encourage that independence in your children. You want to encourage that in your other children so that they can become strong young people and, um, you know, help each other out and know that you love them all the same. But it is very difficult for parents sometimes who have siblings and have a child with disabilities because a lot of attention is focused on that child with disability. Therapies and appointments and hospitalizations, you end up leaving your children with, you know, grandparents or aunts or uncles or friends, so you can tend to that child with disability. So there's a lot of isolation for the siblings, and it's so hard. It happened in my family. It continues to happen now where maybe I can't focus all my time on even my grandkids or my daughters who are young adults now because I'm having to deal with my son because our life rotates around our son. So that's something really difficult. And so I just encourage parents, you know, to keep at it, to keep reminding their children how much they love them. And as a as a mom speaking, you know, I love I love my girls, I love all them all, but it can be difficult. So you don't want to feel alone. So don't isolate yourself. Get some friends who have a child similar to you, yours and have cookouts together. Go to each other's parties. And in my culture, you know, we celebrate baptismals and quinceañeras right. and things like that. And so encourage family members to have your child participate in those events. There's no reason why your child, if it's a young lady, can't have a quinceañera, or your young man can't be a chaperone at a quinceañera, you know. All those things are very important to be part of community. Okay. What's your favorite Amarillo restaurant? Oh, I would have to say Fat Cats. I love Fat Cats. They have the most amazing catfish, fries and hush puppies and their coleslaw and beans. I just love it. I, I I love going over there and picking up a pack or eating at their location. I I just think it's great. I love it. What does this area have too much of? Probably a lot of restaurants. Well, that's accurate. <laughs> I think there's way too many restaurants in town. But then I look around and I see how many cars are parked at each of the restaurants. And I'm saying, oh, my God, where are all these people coming from? But, yeah, I just think there's a lot, a lot of restaurants. And so sometimes I wonder, do families even stay home and eat sometimes, you know? Maybe not. Maybe not as much as we used to. But, you know, when you have two parents working it's a lot easier to go and go to a restaurant and pick up something or just go and sit down for a few minutes with your family and enjoy a conversation. True. What does this area not have enough of? I would love to see um, more job opportunities for people with developmental disabilities. I think that sometimes these individuals, individuals like my son, or people with uh, just cognitive disabilities need more coaching time, Mm -hmm. need more hands-on time. And sometimes I think they give up on them too soon before they learn the skill or the trade. Because what might take me and you a few days to learn might take them a couple of weeks to learn, you know, and given the right training and coaching, they will become the most loyal employee you can ever have. Right. And and there are some uh, I know I know local businesses, there are some national businesses Mm -hmm. that have discovered that, you Mm -hmm. know, that have. I know a particular outreach to 
try to hire people who might have Down syndrome or who might have some other disability because they they don't see, oh, here's a challenge. They see here's an opportunity mm-hmm. because these individuals tend to be very loyal or they very, tend to be very, very focused or um, very good with people in, in yes. some cases. Yes. Oh, in particular, like my son and I see most children with Down syndrome or individuals with Down syndrome, they're your social butterflies. Right. If you want a greeter, you hire a person with Down syndrome. Because they won't let anybody pass. They, they won't. Say hi to. They say hi. They give a high five, try to give a hug. They will remember you. I think the Sod Poodles is really taking advantage of my son right now because he has made so many friends out there and he calls them his friends his cousins and they come up to him and just high five him Mm -hmm. because he's out there and so it's good for the business and it's good for the person who needs a job that needs to learn more than just to live on social security income which is very little i mean that's being in poverty you cannot live on social security yourself that's a good one. I, I I appreciate you saying that. When was the last time you went to Cadillac Ranch? Oh, probably about two years ago. I went okay. to Cadillac not Ranch. Not not too long ago. I passed by there not too long ago because my husband's working out there near Bushland. He's a truck driver, and we passed by there. And I go, I need to go back in there. But some friends of ours came in from Midland, and they wanted to go to Cadillac Ranch, so we went up there and did the spray painting. Okay, and uh, so. I enjoy that. And I keep, every time I go, of course, it's not real often, but it's very different because of all the spray painting on the the cars. You, uh, so you've served on um, some statewide boards. You've interacted with people all all over the states. What do you tell people about Amarillo when you're just, when they say, what's it like to live in Amarillo? What's the answer you give to them? Well, uh, first off, I tell them how friendly it is. I have met some amazing people in Amarillo, friendly people, you know, they don't hesitate to give you directions, uh, where to go, you know, uh, a church to go mm-hmm. to. Um, people are just friendly. And if you're sick or something, they're more than willing to bake you a meal or something and bring in not too long ago, both my husband and I were down because of an illness and uh, medical procedures we had to had. And I had people bringing food to my house okay. and it just makes me feel like I'm rooted here now. What's your favorite street in Amarillo? My favorite street has to be Polk and Sixth Street okay. because I like going down the little shops. I don't necessarily go into them real often, but I, I like the just the creativity of them. And going into Polk Street, you know, you have the courthouse and you have all of that. Right. You know, I just think it's so beautiful. I love history. And I, a lot of history. I have, there Street. is and a lot of history Street. and Sixth Street. And if you go down Polk Street, you can go to some of the historical buildings mm-hmm. too, and you can see some of the old homes and the buildings and inside the buildings. I'm in, in the Amarillo building, right? So there's a lot of history on the walls. Yeah. You know, there's prints, and it tells a little bit of, about the history. And McCarts have done a really great job of putting that up there. Okay. I like to ask this question to, to get you to identify with one side or another. Are you a Pack-A-Sack person or a Toot and Totem person? <laughs> I thought about that. And, you know, I never really thought about convenience stores, but I like having a Pack-A-Sack close to where I live now. Okay. So I have to root for them. <laughs> okay. That's that's where you, you'll go because it's near the house. It's right? near the home. Yeah. All right. That concludes the eight straight section. Maria, I'd like to close by asking my guest to endorse something. So what's something you would want listeners to 
know about or to experience locally? Well, I think I would like to endorse the early education of children. Okay. And whether your child has a disability or not, uh, if they do early childhood intervention, that's a wonderful program for families who have children with disabilities or a diagnosis that's going to make them delayed long term. Prevention is always best. So education, early education is great. Um, At our agency, we also have a program called Hippie. It's for parents of preschool children, getting them ready for school, anything you can do, Head Start, anything at all that you can do to give them those early years of education before they go into the regular school system is going to make your child much better equipped long term. So education in general, but love early childhood intervention. Okay. Maria Garcia, thank you so much for being on the podcast. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for the opportunity. I really enjoyed it. Good. And that concludes the episode. I want to say thanks to Maria for the interview and also to the Manny Camper, to Jimmy Johns in Amarillo, and to Kara Hendricks, Edward Jones, for sponsoring the show. You can learn more about Uniting Parents and Maria's work at cohs.net. Every episode of Hey Morello is produced, written, and hosted by me, but it's edited every week by Angelina Medina. Executive producers include Jennifer Callahan, Patrick Burns, Chris Selda, Katie Linger, Daniel Davis, Josh Wood, Neil Nossiman, Wilson Lemieux, Ryan Pennington, Wes Reeves, and Corey Burns. Thank you for listening. If you want to follow the podcast on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, we're on all the social media. Share it with a friend. Leave a review if you like it. Even if you don't do any of that stuff, I appreciate that you listen week in and week out. My name is Jason Boyette, and I'll see you next week.